Hey folks, on today's show, the Premier League is back and we are talking about it. We're talking about Aston Villa v Sheffield United and the drama there. You know what I'm talking about. And then a little bit about Man City, a lot bit I should say about Man City 3, Arsenal nil. Uh, Spoiler alert there, but those are the only two games we're talking about. So if you haven't watched them, that's kind of on you. But before we get to those games, I wanted to let you know that this episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Fubo TV. Uh, Fubo TV allows you to watch Basically every sports channel you could possibly want, as well as many, many other channels to boot. Uh, it is how I watched both of the uh, NBC Sports games today. You could find them there. The lovely thing, I accidentally changed the channel at one point and had forgotten to record. When I switched back, you didn't even have to worry about the, like, oh, now I don't have the kind of backlog of the game. You hit record. It records the whole thing from start to finish, even if there's only, like, three minutes remaining in the game, which is a super useful feature, especially for what Daryl and I do. But we've got lots of, ge- of games coming up in the Premier League and the Bundesliga and La Liga and Serie A all over the place. So we'll be able to use that to cover those games to then talk about those games. If you would like to check out what Fubo.tv have, you can do so. You can stay updated on your favorite leagues as well as local broadcast news by going to Fubo.tv slash TSS today and starting your free seven-day trial. You will not regret it. That's Fubo.tv slash TSS. Start your free trial today. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who knows that's over the line. Market Zero. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. This is not Nam here. There are rules. Hello, buddy. Sure How are you doing? Hello. We are going to talk about um, Aston Villa, Sheffield United mm-hmm. later on. We are, of course, also going to talk about Manchester City versus Arsenal, um, not including Mesut Ozil. Big topic of discussion. Yeah. But first, before we talk talk Premier League is back, Champions League is back, Champions League is back. It's official. UEFA had a meeting, I assume via Zoom, um, and we're going to have Champions League football starting August the 7th, right? Starting August the 7th in Lisbon. That's right. Uh, running through August the 23rd, where we'll have our final. But yeah, we've got the remaining second legs. Then we've got our quarterfinals, our semifinals, and our final. It, it is sort of the tournament that we didn't think we were going to get this summer. It's just happening later on. And then we basically have the season resuming immediately after yep. it. It's going to be um, an interesting time. And I've already made an error, Taylor. I've made mm. an error that I'm going to correct right now. The actual tournament will be quarterfinals onwards in Lisbon, and that will be from the 12th to the 23rd it's those round of 16 second legs that haven't been played Um, those will be played august 7th and 8th and uefa just haven't decided where those will be yet so the actual like mini tournament that we're going to get all excited about will be august 12th to the 23rd in lisbon and there'll be single elimination as i understand it yeah so uh it will be very unpleasant outside here in richmond if the pass is any indicator it's gonna be like 100 degrees with pure humidity i mean you can stay inside and watch it won't be cool in lisbon it yeah. won't be cool in Lisbon. It's going to be pretty warm, I think. Yeah, I don't have to worry about them. They can hydrate. They're, million- <laughs> they're millionaires. That's fine. For me, I get to stay inside and have a justified reason for doing so. They will get hydration breaks. Yes. Um, also worth noting, the Europa League is coming mm. back in a similar style, August 10th to the 21st. Um, in Germany, basically, it's going to be in Kolm, Duisburg, Dusseldorf, where they can stay at the hotel and then walk out straight to the stadium. Convenient. And 
Gelsenkirchen. The UEFA Women's Champions League will be August 21st to the 30th in Bilbao and San Sebastian. So I think I'm right in saying it's all happening in Basque country. Uh, the UEFA Women's Champions League, August 21st to the 30th. All right, that's I'm, pretty cool. I'm really, I'm really shocked they managed to get all these UEFA knockout tournaments organised. I guess UEFA just wanted in on the action. I mean, and and the uh, TV broadcast rights or revenue that comes with it and not having to repay it. I'm going to guess that's probably also part of it as well. But I do like coincidence, that we, Taylor, pure coincidence. <laughs> I do like that we we thought we were going to have the Euro like Euro 2020 with games all over the place in lots of different countries. We're not going to get that. We'll get that next summer. But this summer, we are going to get games in lots of different countries, just not quite in the way that we expected. Yeah. The, so the Premier League's back today, joining what the Bundesliga, La Liga, mm-hmm. Serie A. Um, and we had two games. We had Aston Villa against Sheffield United. Probably not the game from a marketing perspective to come back with. Not so much. It felt, it felt a little bit like EFL Championship is back. <laughs> <laughs> and then later on, uh, on Wednesday, we had Manchester City versus Arsenal. We're going to review both games. We're going to do it in chronological order. But the big talking point from the nil-nil Sheffield United, Aston Villa versus Sheffield United game is that goal that wasn't, right? The mm-hmm. Hawkeye failure where Villa goalkeeper uh, Neyland carried it backwards over his own line with more than a little help from his teammate Keenan Davis Yes. Um, after that Oliver Norwood free kick. Can we just confirm, Taylor, it was over the line, right? I've seen enough images that mm-hmm. say to me he was behind the post, that ball was over the line. Market yes. zero. Market zero, indeed, except I guess it should have been marked one. Yeah, uh, market one. <laughs> market one, no. Yeah, I mean, we, we thought at the time it had been. Then there was, like, maybe the thought that, like, oh, I guess if it's, like, on the post, there's a chance it didn't all the way cross the line because we were looking for any reason why it might not have been given aside from yeah. a technological failure. Now we know it definitely did cross the line because they have come out and said, yep, we just kind of didn't get yep. it right on this one. So if you haven't seen this, Michael Oliver pointed, the referee pointed to his watch, right? He has the uh, Hawkeye goal line technology watch that essentially goes off and I think it just says goal when the ball is over the line. And Mm -hmm. there are a lot of cameras pointed along the goal line that calculate this decision very, very precisely, right? It's what they use in tennis. It's what they use in cricket. And because Michael Oliver's watch did not go off, he just said, even if you think it did, there's no way that it went over the line. Until after the game, we get that apology from Hawkeye. Do you want me to read the full apology, Taylor, just so everybody knows what Hawkeye has to say? You can read the first paragraph. I'll read the second. We'll split see it. Oh, lovely. All mm. right. So here's what Hawkeye says. Yours is not, longer, to be fair. Not too long after the game, right? Um, Hawkeye say, the seven cameras located in the stands around the goal were significantly occluded, which I know from uh, experience with my insulin pod means blockage, All right. <laughs> were significantly <laughs> occluded by the goalkeeper, defender, and goalpost. I assume when they say defender, they mean Keenan Davis. Um, the level of occlusion has never been seen before in over 9,000 matches. They mean more than 9,000 mm-hmm. matches that the Hawkeye goal line technology system has been in operation. The system was tested and proved functional prior to the start of the match in accordance with IFAB laws of the game and confirmed as working by match officials. That's sort of important because we know for sure it was working. There was some conjecture that maybe they had forgotten to turn it on in the uh, in the break. Uh, the system has remained functional throughout. Hawkeye unreservedly apologizes to the Premier League, Sheffield United, and everyone affected by this incident, which will be many, many people. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the Villa getting a point could be massive mm-hmm. by the end of the season. Sheffield United dropping uh, a couple points yep. could be massive by the end of the season. As a Wolves fan who's competing with Sheffield United for a Europa League or Champions League spot, I would say to Hawkeye, 
no need to apologize to me i'm fine <laughs> yeah i think i think they'll be fine with it they're big var fans or or lack of hawkeye fans right now <laughs> uh the, the other thing we should clarify uh because because i retweeted it you retweeted the correction uh oh, or know, at yeah. least a follow-up was basically that there was some reporting that at halftime michael oliver's watch had gone off and that there was some sort of delay in the broadcast and and therefore it like should have been reconnected given. to the wi-fi and went off that was kind of, i really did think like they forgot to shut it on didn't they when that reporting came out <laughs> then it was sort of clarified that his watch went off at halftime because they tested to make sure it was operational so i'm yeah. assuming that just means somebody threw a ball into the goal and then it went off so they knew <laughs> it was working but there was a little bit of of muddying of the details there but so it wasn't some conspiracy it wasn't anybody forgetting to turn it on one other thing i think is probably worth noting because i did see some people saying like but it was so clearly over the line oliver could have given that the ar should have spotted that but i think as you said earlier if you're trained to the watch beeps it's a goal if the watch doesn't beep it's not a goal you wouldn't know in the moment that it might be malfunctioning or it yeah. was occluded uh so you would just assume it hadn't crossed the line and this was just sheffield united players trying to get the advantage uh i'm sure afterwards he felt a little bit foolish but in the moment you understand why he didn't give that goal for sure so the lesson i think we've learned here is and i'm, I'm really serious here is that the hawkeye system is not 100 percent foolproof Right? right, that we we can use it. I'm not. We shouldn't abolish it or scrap it or anything like that. But I think when there's significant doubt and it looks like the ball has gone over the line, I think at least this incident means that we can no longer just point at the watch and say, "Hey, the watch is 100 percent right mm-hmm. all the time." Um, therefore, we're not even going to investigate whether this went over the line or not. I think an incident like this now we can say all right, maybe Hawkeye has failed because of uh, a one in 9,000 <laughs> chance occlusion. Um, and we should go to VAR and, and take a look. Because VAR probably could have solved this. I right? mean, should have, I would say. And uh, yeah. in the post-match uh, punditry, I think it was Robbie Musto was pointing out that between this incident and then there's a free kick the other end for Aston Villa, there's about, I think, 69 seconds is what he counted nice. before. Exactly, I know. <laughs> um, before, that's why I'm crediting him and not just pretending to be a juvenile. Uh, but I think he basically was pointing out that that was enough time for Oliver to stop and say, like, hold on, we need to take a look yeah. at this just to make sure. The only thing I can figure is that because it didn't beep, it was it was just sort of that, like, no, it didn't cross yeah. the line. The thing would have told me, so it doesn't need to go to VAR. So there's probably some little thing that just needs to be uh, added to the rules of, uh, and we can also check goals just to make sure it definitely crossed the line. Although then you run into that debate about, well, now they're going to look at every yeah. ball that just went over the line. And you know what? I don't even know if it's in the rules or the laws of the game or the guidance mm-hmm. that we all must bow before Hawkeye. Hawkeye is always right. I think it's just more like a tradition that's been established yeah. that Hawkeye always gets it right. So why look into overruling it? This might be the day, Taylor. This might be the day where we learn not to trust the machines. Exactly. This is the day we change the future and Skynet doesn't happen. They're not going to hold each other accountable, those machines. They're going to let each other <laughs> off the hook and we've got to stay diligent, Daryl. We cannot let them take over. Sarah Connor came back and persuaded Keenan Davis to knock Neyland over the line. <laughs> so I think we've, we've talked about the technology, mm-hmm. right? I actually do want to talk about the incident. Sure. Um, I think a lot of credit has to go to Oliver Norwood here, the Sheffield United player, who sent in such a, a weird, bending, hanging free kick that it caused so much panic that it caused Villa striker Keenan Davis to essentially step into Neyland as he caught the ball and caused what should have been an own goal. I think there's credit to Sheffield United here. So that's interesting because I think when I messaged you about this, when we were like texting back and forth, I said like, oh, he's got to be catching that cross. Or that was the kind of prevailing narrative is, well, he should have handled that in the first place. He should have caught that cross. You're arguing it wasn't a cross. You're arguing it was a cross that was just sort of really deceptive in the movement. 
Yeah, I think it was a cross that was really deceptive cool. in the movement because I do know that Oliver Norwood has previous enforcing own goals mm-hmm. but it was in the championship last year so I haven't actually seen it I've just heard that there were more than more than one time there was an own goal I think from corners and free kicks where the ball ended up in the back of the net because of a, a sort of clumsy mistake by an opponent from an Oliver Norwood set piece right so this isn't like a it, uh, Oliver Norwood forcing an own goal is less rare than a Hawkeye mistake. Well, I guess what's confusing <laughs> there to me is when you say he's forcing an own goal, you're not saying he like he's shooting though, right? You're saying it was no. a cross, but it's just very, very tricky. I, yeah, I, I mean, I think the go- the aim of Oliver Norwood is not to force an own goal, right? Gotcha. The aim of Oliver Norwood is to hang up a really dangerous ball that's like at the far post, but actually also hanging near the goal mm-hmm. so that there's Sheffield United players can attack it. That's probably the main idea, right? Is that Sheffield United's uh, bigger players can attack the ball at the back post near to goal. But if you're a defender, that causes all sorts of panic, right? Especially yeah. if you're a defender who's not actually a defender because Keenan Davis is a centre forward. Um, and maybe you, you make a mistake and just try and get to the ball and you're too close to your to your own goal. Do you remember the US men's national team used to try this, right? They used to try these... Cor- mm-hmm. Michael Bradley would take these corners that hung up at the, uh, at the far post almost on the line to try and cause trouble. I think that's basically what Norwood was doing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not helped by, uh, is it uh, Nieland, not Nyland, Nieland, Nieland uh, yeah. failing to collect that one and then kind of juggling it. And I, and I do uh, forgive Davis somewhat for basically just trying to make a play to make sure it doesn't go in and try yes. to help his goalkeeper. It's just then there is the, the confusion and the physical contact. Also, Daryl, you've already taken two shots at the championship in this episode. Do you want to go for three? <laughs> I do not. I do not. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you'll find a way. I believe in you. I'm just so glad my team's not in there anymore. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Wolves get out of there and suddenly it's a league he doesn't watch anymore. And yeah. it feels like the undercard. I see how it is. I see how it is. Yeah, we'll, we might be back there one day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it to two. I, I think I think you're safe for a good little little <laughs> bit of time at least. Um, so we talked about uh, uh, Norwood there and his weirdness of, of his delivery and forcing <laughs> their own goals. Any other players that stood out to you for any other reason? Um, I, I do want to talk about Jack Grealish yep. because I that think in our the preview, one I wanted to talk about. Yeah, I, the the big thing I was thinking about is you know Villa are in the relegation zone. They're still in the relegation zone after this point. Jack Grealish, local lad, leading the charge, easily their best player, right? And the, I really thought we we're going to see a big effort of Jack Grealish tries to get Villa out of trouble. And I think that's what we saw today. Jack yep. Grealish was everywhere, trying everything, and was ultimately unsuccessful. And I'm interested in the reasons why. Um, why do you think Jack Grealish ultimately couldn't create enough to get Villa a goal? Uh, because he plays for Aston Villa and because he got kicked a lot. Those are my two answers. Uh, yes. And the first one is slightly mean, but what I mean by that is like there's the moment in the 58th minute, I think is what I wrote down, uh, that he has the really, really great ball. He splits three different defenders. He plays it in for El Ghazi. El Ghazi then squares for Davis, but it's just ahead of him. Yeah, and sliding that, and in at the back post. Right? Exactly. And that's what I mean is just like maybe if he is playing for Chelsea or Man United or Liverpool – is that run anticipated? Is that ball anticipated? Is that maybe sliding home at the, at the far post to knock it home as opposed to just missing it? I mean, that that's maybe being a bit harsh yeah. on Villa, but I think there was some of it was not necessarily him like failing to capitalize or failing to make something happen. But then another big thing was I do think that they were trying to isolate Jack Grealish and make sure he got the ball in pockets of space. And I think Sheffield United were trying to very much make sure that did not happen. And if it did, rather than let anything develop, there was a lot of physical play and knocking him around and holding yes. the jersey and giving him little kicks. And I I think anytime you can break that rhythm that way, it's also going to cause problems as well. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there were two things going on here, right? The Sheffield United were very um, just stacked defensively, right? They essentially turned into a 5-3-2 when they were defending and there's just not a lot of space 
anywhere where you really want the ball and can cause damage. Um, and anytime Grealish did, because he was constantly on the move, right? Did you see him? He, he played mm-hmm. like essentially left wing or attacking left midfielder, but was constantly moving, looking for space, right? Like you said, looking for pockets of space, trying to find one. Even when he did find it, it was never really that big, no. right? He was never in like an acre. He could never like swing his arms around necessarily. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely saw anytime he did receive the ball, Sander Berger would give him a kick mm-hmm. or another Sheffield United midfielder would, would give him a bit of a kick. So I think he basically did the best he could in a very bad situation. Yeah, I mean, it's what happens when you are uh, a not as good team and you have that one marquee player is I think the opposition is going to recognize, well, if we mark him out of the game and make sure we focus on him and get a few physical challenges, it's going to make them that less likely to score. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think you're also absolutely right that even when he would find those those pockets of space, it's not like, oh, he's wide open on the left and now he can cut inside and cause problems. It was usually like, oh, he's sort of open on the left, but he has a defender in front of him and a defender behind him and he's got maybe three yards of space, but he still has the ball. But it's not as though he can then go straight to goal unimpeded. And he was really telling that, I think, towards the uh, middle of the second half, he essentially started coming all the way back and just receiving the ball from the centre-backs, mm-hmm. right? And getting it around the halfway line and just trying to start something from there. And he, there was just never enough space to to start anything. Like Sheffield United were like, fine, have it in your own half, Jack Grealish. Just yep. don't bring it over here. I mean, even at one <laughs> point, I think there's a maybe a 10-minute period in the first half when he and El Ghazi switch sides for a little bit of time. And even then, it doesn't really do anything and he ends up switching back over. It might have just been a sort of temporary, you're over there after a free kick and then we're just going to stay here for a while. It might not have been a tactical yeah. thing. But even when he does move to the other side it felt like Sheffield United were still diligent enough to know okay he's over there now then do the same thing but on that side worth noting um in the preview the Premier League is back preview the two Sheffield United players I highlighted were Jack O'Connell the left center back and John Fleck Mm -hmm. the sort of left central midfielder um who are I think like maybe their two best players neither of those players played in this game um, and because both were essentially late um, injury shouts because of something that happened in training uh, yesterday. Um, so it was a surprise that those two weren't playing. I think Villa um, probably got lucky because there are a few moments where like the big crossfield balls that O'Connell is uh, sort of famous for, um, you saw his replacement, um, Edna Davidson, play some not-so-good crossfield balls that didn't quite hit their target. So I think this was a real opportunity for Villa because they were facing a weakened Sheffield United team. Um, and so I, I think a stronger Sheffield United possibly would have punished Villa here. I mean, yes, I think Villa, Villa given that we already talked about them uh, not having a goal against them, yeah, I think they yeah. got a little bit lucky. Uh, and, and I also think, though, that Sheffield United sort of played into Villa's hands a little bit because there is the other really clear-cut chance that Villa do have. It's a bad giveaway from Baldock. I think he's trying to force a ball down the line, but it gets cut out by Luis. He plays it to Grealish. Grealish gives it to McGinn. McGinn gets a decent shot off, but it's a good save uh, by Henderson. But there were moments where Sheffield United, I think because it wasn't their usual starting center backs that you talked about, you did didn't maybe have some of that fluidity, some of that familiarity. So there were moments when it was getting kind of forced up and trying to make something happen as opposed to believing that something would happen. Then again, when you have a goal incorrectly disallowed or not given, maybe (laughs) there's a reason why you might feel like this might not be our day. Quick note, uh, Douglas Luiz, definitely the D. Luiz of the day. Yes, that is true. That is <laughs> most certainly true. And on that note, we should probably get to the Arsenal-Man City game, unless you have anything else to say about Villa v Sheffield United. I have nothing else to say about Villa versus Sheffield United. Before we move on, we should mm-hmm. talk about today's sponsor. Let us today's do it. Today's show is sponsored by Hims. Mm-hmm. Um, Hims is here to solve a common issue that faces men that they don't always want to talk about. The copy says, Taylor, think long and hard about it. 
See, because I, I appreciate that they did that because the other day I made a hard joke and then I felt uncomfortable. But they've gone and done it for me, so I feel better. They certainly have. 40% of men by age 40 struggle from not being able to get and maintain an erection. It is not something to be embarrassed about. It is something to solve. It is something that you can solve. Hymns can be that solution for you. The only reason to be embarrassed about it is if you take like snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements that are not going to do anything but like yeah. might make you turn purple. And then... You know now- what's... What's extra embarrassing is if someone says these are snake oil pills and you're like, yes, that's exactly what I was looking for. I think snake I, there, oil is the solution. Here. I mean, there is a person who maybe doesn't have the familiarity with what snake oil is and instead is like, is it, is it, <laughs> do, do they treat that? Is it like, you could, yeah, I could understand that like a little bit of cobra venom, maybe, maybe that's going to do something for me, but maybe right, not cobra at, oil. Look at snakes, right? They're, they're reasonably flaccid. <laughs> I'm just saying. You are correct. I have never seen a completely rigid snake before. There we go. <laughs> uh, moving away from nature, Hims connects you with real licensed doctors and FDA-approved pharmaceutical products to treat ED. They offer well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you combat erectile dysfunction. So what you do is you can go online. You don't mm-hmm. have to go and see a doctor. Um, you answer questions about your medical history, and then you chat with a doctor for confidential review, all done via telemedicine. So, you know, physical distancing, social distancing, mm-hmm. not a problem. If approved by the doctor, products are shipped directly to your door. And you can try Hims today by starting out with a free online visit. So that doesn't mean it's just free to go to the website. It means doing the actual visit where you fill out the questionnaire is free. Go to fourhims.com slash totalsockered. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash totalsockered. Fourhims.com slash totalsockered. Taylor, I read out um, all the URLs so that mm-hmm. you have to do the disclaimer. Should I do it really slowly? Prescription products are subject to doctor approval and require an online consultation with a physician who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. See website for full details and safety information. This could cost hundreds if you went in person to the doctor's office or a pharmacy. I like that you were nearly brave enough to do it slowly and then you backed out. <laughs> but remember, that's forhims.com slash ed. I'm just aware that people are already maybe skipping through this, so I don't yep. want to give them even more license to do so. No skipping, no skipping. <laughs> and no skipping, especially if Kevin De Bruyne is whipping a crossing at you. Yeah, definitely don't do that then. Definitely don't do that then. <laughs> uh, unless you're David Luiz, the, the worst D. Luiz on the day, as you've Hell already yeah. said. So Manchester City mm-hmm. uh, hosted Arsenal and won 3-0. I'm going to say a very convincing win in the end. And lots of questions for Arsenal and for head coach Mikel Arteta afterwards. Mm-hmm. I think we'll, we'll analyse the goals, right? Or at least two of them. I'm not sure how important the third one is to analyse. Um, but I think maybe I want to start with team selection. And I want to start with Arsenal's team selection, um, if that's all right with you, Taylor. Because I Absolutely. think that's kind of the big story here, right? Um there was no Mesut Ozil in the Arsenal starting eleven. There was no Mesut Ozil on the Arsenal bench. Yep. I, for one, was very surprised because I thought Arsenal would be coming back. Mikel Arteta would have them playing uh, what I'm going to call uh, Arteta ball, uh, which is you know a, a Guardiola-ish positional play type thing. Because it had been happening in the build-up to the uh, before we had the coronavirus lockdown, and I thought Ozil was beginning to thrive. When Arteta was asked after the game, why no Mesut Ozil, he said tactical reasons. And then I don't Mm -hmm. think he was ever asked to elaborate on that because 
I don't know. I don't know why. I guess British journalists just write the, down the first thing that they're told. The vibe I was getting from him is that he was not answering questions uh, when oh, he I went see. to do the elbow bump in, in lieu of handshake with Pep Guardiola. No words were exchanged, even though we know they're friends. We know they get along very, very well. Mikel Arteta was was pretty fuming, mad. I think by the overall performance, okay, uh, so both any, individually any and generally, yeah. So any answer was going to be terse and not not elaborated on. I would guess so. I would guess so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what do you make? Um, say, let's say we take the answer at face value, tactical reasons, no Mesut Ozil versus Man City. I actually could see a, a reason for it, right? Because the starting midfield ends up being Gendouzi, um, Shaka, and Willock. And I took a good look at what the midfield was asked to do. And they were essentially asked to square up to Manchester City's three midfielders, right? So Gendouzi faced up with um, Gundogan, who was the central mm-hmm. midfielder. Um, Willock faced up with Silva. And Shaka, for the, the brief time he was on there <laughs> to, before he was replaced, faced up with Kevin De Bruyne, right? Mm. And it looked like the Arsenal plan was, we'll have Nketiah, the striker, will block passes going into uh, Gundogan. And then Gendouzi will be behind Gundogan, marking him. And it actually looked like quite a smart tactical setup to deny Manchester City getting those passes into midfielders. I can see that making sense why you wouldn't task Mesut Ozil with that job. But if I was doing that, I'd still have Mesut Ozil on the bench for if we needed is. him later on. There it is. And I That's think that thing, right? is the very telling thing, yes. Because I think you're absolutely right. You can see why they maybe wouldn't want to use Mesut Ozil here, but you would certainly want to have him as a bench option if things are going wrong and you've got to change it up. That he wasn't there, I think, maybe speaks to some behind-the-scenes issues, potentially. One thing that uh, we were speculating about before we started recording, there was a good interview with Mikel Arteta and some Arsenal people about like what he's done, how he's turned things around at Arsenal. And it sounds like he was very not pleased with the second half of their uh, like season restart tune-up game against Brentford, I believe it was. Did yeah, they lose 3-2 in that one? Yeah, they were 1-0 up at halftime and then lost 3-2 Yeah, in yeah. a warm-up against Brentford. And it was David Luiz giving the ball away for the first goal. Uh, it was Maitland-Niles, I think, for the third. And it was Lacazette for the second, all three of whom did not start this game. And I and yep. I and and we know afterwards that he was frustrated by the failure to execute the game plan, but also some of the lack of effort, especially late mm-hmm. in the game. And it stands well, to reason then noting, that he looked at... Worth noting, Mesut Ozil start, did not Thank start you. the first half did start the second half. Yeah. And so I think maybe there was just a few performances in that second half that he decided, look, if you're not all in, and that does seem to be his strategy, is if you're not all in, then you're welcome to not play. But I only want people who have bought in entirely. And maybe this was his attempt to say, hey, if you're not going to be there, you're not going to be there literally in terms of on the bench even, or you'll be on the bench instead of on the field. I don't know if it went as well as he would have hoped, though. And maybe that also explains why, why he was so frustrated at the end of that game. Maybe a little bit mad at himself for, for getting things wrong. Or also just aware that, like, like you want to be the coach who sits the star player who's not, like, behaving properly, and then you go on and win 4-0, and you sort of yeah. show the star player, ha, we don't really even need you, you better shape up, versus lose 3-0 with a red card, and maybe you, you walk away from this thinking, okay, maybe I did need some of those guys. That's the debate <laughs> you don't want to have happening. Well, one quick thing, Tyler, the reporting you saw about, like, maybe um, Arteta being mad after that friendly yeah. preseason thing against Brentford, where did you see that? The athletic, the athletic. All right, I just wanted mm-hmm. to make sure. I like to, I like to get athletic mentions in there since they've I, since they've been so good to it. I think I said that. Oh, you did. Well, mm-hmm. now we've said it twice. <laughs> okay. I was like, did I not? I thought I did, but maybe not. Who knows? Um, Only the tape can tell. Only the tape go. can tell. Here's the thing, Taylor. Mm-hmm. I, again, I maybe would agree, understand Arteta's reasoning, tactical reasoning, if Ozil wasn't on the bench. I also, 
at first glance, I kind of liked that a lot of these young players were playing, like, you know, Nketiah, um, Saka was on the right and Willock was in midfield. And I really thought maybe this is an Arteta plan to try and close Man City down as they build mm-hmm. up. We've got these energetic guys who will just do their defensive job and block off all Man City's uh, passing schemes and movements. But then there's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, yeah. who absolutely was not doing that. And I, I think was a major problem for Arsenal in this game. Yeah, like this is a thing I always go back to is if a person isn't doing a thing enough times, I move from, oh, he's failing to perform to, oh, he must be doing what the coach is asking because there's no way this would be acceptable in any other situation. And this is the one time where I think he just wasn't doing what he was asked to do every single time because he kept leaving that outlet for Kyle Walker. That was the big one that stood out to me was he kept trying to split that difference. And yet every single time he stood too far inside, he gave Kyle Walker that space. But he also gave Kyle Walker the space in a way that if he received the ball, he was a good 15 yards away from anybody else uh, that was wearing an Arsenal jersey. So that alone, I thought was pretty telling. But then the fact that he has very limited touches, that he's not on the ball very often, that he seems a little bit removed and certainly defensively wasn't as maybe impressive as certainly Mikel Arteta would have hoped. You you sent me um, a tweet by Ted Knutson mm-hmm. of Statsbomb, who's you know really smart tactical guy. Who he had he had made the note that um, Arsenal, oh sorry, Man City were sort of starting on the left and then mm-hmm. switching to the right a lot and hurting hurting Arsenal down that right side. And I've got to say, from watching it, it looks like that might be an Obama Yang problem. That that yeah. might have been the weakness that Man City found in Arsenal's setup is that Obama Yang just wasn't either wasn't into or wasn't capable of performing his defensive job. Yeah. I mean, and I think also maybe wasn't like if you want to be nice, I think this is a generous way to put it is like also maybe wasn't sure of what he was supposed to be doing, which sounds like a a condemnation. But in reality, I'm just saying that there were moments when it felt like he was standing off and he was supposed to be stepping to the point where sometimes you would see somebody else go and close down that 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 player, that mark, especially when it was Kyle Walker closer to midfield. It seemed like Aubameyang would kind of shift over, but be okay with him having space. And the only thing I can really figure from watching that time and time again was that maybe it was that I don't want to get beat. I don't want to go charging in and then have him just go right around me and be a cone so I'll stand off and he has to make a pass but then a pass is better than me getting beaten and being out of position so do you want to talk about that first goal I mean yeah because it's basically where it all comes from yeah I think it kind of fits with the pattern yeah it is worth noting in Arteta's defense, mm. I guess, that he loses Shaka in the first five minutes yep. and Danny Ceballos has to come in, right? And the midfield still does that same thing I was talking about, essentially trying to mark off the mm. three Man City central midfielders. But it's not it's not Arteta's first choice three midfielders doing it, right? So Danny no. Ceballos is in there. And then, I don't know the minute, but like midway through the first half, essentially, um, Marie has to come out and in uh, comes yeah. David Luiz. Who, again, 24th I was excited. Minute, in comes David. I was, what minute was it, sorry? Uh, 24th. 24th minute. All right. So I honestly have been excited about David Luiz in an Arteta system bringing the ball out of the back. I think I'd forgotten how bad his defending was because <laughs> he's so, very much at fault for both of these goals, especially this first one. Not trying to be captain hindsight here, but but yesterday when we recorded that Arsenal, uh, when we talked about Arsenal and things to watch for, you were so hyped on Arsenal that yeah. I, I still had those fears and I was just like maybe he knows what I don't maybe he has read stuff and he is and like I think you talked about how Mustafi has sort of played himself back into contention and has I did himself- not say that Oh, okay. I thought I thought that was a point you made. Maybe it was somebody else then. But I thought, like, because there are those players who have sort of impressed under Ateta to the point where we thought they were gone, but now they're back in. And so when you were t- hyped on them, I was like, okay, maybe he has. Maybe he has turned a page. And I was yeah. sort of up for it. And then I was very quickly reminded that David Luiz is who we thought he is. 
I still maybe I'm too optimistic, but I still think that maybe against a team that's not Manchester City, we see an Arteta Arsenal team that looks kind of like a B plus Man City. You know yeah. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I think it still could work. It still could be David Luiz bringing the ball out of the back. I mean, maybe not while he's suspended, but David Luiz bringing the ball out of the back, hitting some passes, breaking lines, and Mesut Ozil finding space and connecting play and making things happen. Like I really think we could see that version of Arsenal. But I think maybe I should have taken into account that their first opponent was Manchester City, and it was just never going to happen. Like it's almost like the uh, the 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 knockoff version playing against the real version. I know what you mean, but simultaneously, like as we already talked about, against Brentford, like he just tries to go on a dribble and gets dispossessed and they go right back down and score. So even yeah. there, like he does still take those chances. He does still take those risks. And I think if you're Mikel Arteta, you're balancing, am I okay with those risks because of what he does to create opportunities and to get the ball forward versus occasionally shipping shipping moments, shipping uh, mistakes, yeah. what have you. Uh or do I want to bring somebody else in who I think will be reliable in what I'm asking them to do? And it feels like that's what Pablo Mari was supposed to be. And yeah. then obviously it doesn't end up going that way. And the other knock against David Luiz is like, I again, I was excited for him to find passes and make Arsenal capable of moving through the press and out of the back. Mm-hmm. In the end, David Luiz just essentially hit a bunch of long balls for Eddie Nketiah to chase in behind the Man City defence, right? Yeah, so, that was, that was yeah. really strange to me because like, as we talked about, Arteta wants for like them them to wait until Man City engage, until those attackers get pulled forward, and then you can try to build out. And what I saw keep happening was uh, Leno routinely would put his foot on the ball and wait and wait and wait, or sometimes it would be Mari when he was still there, or Mustafi. Um, and then you would see Man City sort of start to press, and when they would, there weren't really many opportunities because a lot of those Arsenal midfielders were sort of standing in their positions, and the times that they were able to play out, and this is where I think that if you're an Arsenal fan, you can take some solace in the fact that I thought Nketiah was excellent that yeah he does try to run in behind but there are also moments when he drops in and he receives that like 40 yard bouncing ball on his chest and lays it off to Obama Yang and then Arsenal are able to transition so that was the like only moment where I felt like okay so they're doing some medium range balls into Nketiah instead of just trying to hit him over top but every time I felt like that started to work they then just lumped it long in hopes that he would run it down against uh, a defense that he was not going to beat in the air. So the longer balls, am I right in thinking that's a David Luiz problem or were other players doing that even before David Luiz came in and got involved? Leno was the only one that I noticed doing it routinely. But again, if you have your goalkeeper about to come under possession or under pressure, maybe you don't want him trying to like yeah. find a short outlet pass. Just get rid and try to find somebody who's dropping in. In that case, it was Nketiah. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Before we get into the goals, I think it's mm-hmm. time to talk about um, a sponsor. Today's show today's show is sponsored mm-hmm. by Hawthorne with an E. Hawthorne with an E. Um, <laughs> Hawthorne want you to know that smelling good is important. I feel like mm-hmm. you should have known it already, but Hawthorne is here to make sure that you know smelling good is important and Hawthorne smells really good. I do know those people who are just like, okay with it. Like I'm not wearing deodorant. I'm just okay with smelling the way I want to smell. And I understand the idea behind that. That will never be me. I will always go <laughs> smell good over smell bad. Um, I, I agree. And I- and I think maybe some people's fathers are like that, too. We do have Father's Day coming up. So yeah. if you haven't yet thought of a gift or if you want to get a gift, uh, my gift is usually a text message saying Happy Father's Day. I, I don't know <laughs> if that's enough, but that's the way I go. But if you want to do a little bit more, you could do the Hawthorne quiz. You could have your dad take the quiz, and then you could uh, get the products that he, uh, he most wants. I think actually what I think Hawthorne want you to do is not get your dad to take the quiz because then mm-hmm. he knows what the gift is going to be, right? Mm-hmm. I think what you need to do is... 
know your father's profile, and then you take the quiz at hawthorne.co and you have to basically figure out yourself. Does your dad have um, dry skin? What type of hair does your dad have? Uh, you know, what type of smells does he like? I think you should know the answers, to be honest. You should know those answers about your own father. And then once you've taken the I, quiz... I don't think I know his, his, his skin quality. I, I can't say I know that one for sure. I know that he does have hair. I can tell you that much. There we go. I mean, that'll work, right? <laughs> so you take the quiz with the knowledge yeah. you've got and Hawthorne will present you with products that they think are a good fit. Oh, it probably works better for you because you know your own body better, but yeah. you can do it for your father. It will give you a list of possible products. You can select the ones that you want and then mm-hmm. you can uh, get those shipped off. Uh, you, or- you order the ones you want and you can give them to your father for Father's Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do have uh, fairly sensitive skin. My, my mother once told me that she used the bathtub as a baby a babysitter, so that was fun for her. But now, uh, she, she's probably listening. It's okay, Mom. Don't worry about it. But I do tend to look for the sensitive skin products, and that is like a nice thing you can do is you don't have to worry about that because sometimes you don't get that, and then suddenly uh, you have like a, a rash or your skin is bright red. Nobody wants bright red skin. Everybody just wants nice-smelling skin. <laughs> so if you answer the quiz correctly, and mm-hmm. you should, because if you just give honest answers, you answer the quiz correctly, Hawthorne gives you products products that are tailored to you so that means taylor's skin will (laughs) will stay nice nice and soft nice and soft and not irritated i mean taylor's skin will be tailored to him there you go he sure will you can check out hawthorne at hawthorne.co that's hawthorne with an e dot co not dot com hawthorne.co and use the promo code tss to get 10 percent off your first purchase it's hawthorne.co and use the promo code tss to get 10 percent off your first purchase what's that website again taylor I was wondering if you were going to go all the way through, man. You were killing it. Uh, Hawthorne.co. H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.co. Link will be in the show notes. Thank you to Hawthorne for sponsoring today's show. Shall we get to Manchester City's goals? Sure. Okay. So Raheem Sterling scores in stoppage time of the first half, right? The move begins... When Kyle Walker is able to play a ball out to the right wing where Kevin De Bruyne is waiting for it, Obama Yang, I'm pretty sure, is supposed to be blocking this passing lane. Yes. And I think 100%. he thinks he's doing it. A hundred percent. This is what I'm talking about. Is that it, it kept happening to the point where I think maybe he just hadn't drilled it enough or he just wasn't aware in the moment. But if he's even two yards further to his left, then that pass is at the very least more of a risk and not as automatic. And if you can make the person who's passing the ball think about the pass, that's basically what you don't want to do if you're playing it. You just want to be playing yeah. it automatically because you know it's there. The minute you're slowing down and contemplating it, suddenly you could cause some problems for yourself. But in this um, case, because it doesn't happen. bend on it, right? Yeah, puts a little bit of bend on it, but any solid professional footballer can do that. They can bend a pass around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and so then he finds Kevin De Bruyne out wide, and this is sort of what we talked about, that it does start on the left, they swing it around, they find Kevin De Bruyne on the right touchline. Now Arsenal are in a transition, they're sliding over, they're trying to make sure they have the defensive cover, and... This is the kind of sad thing, again, if you're an Arsenal fan, is that they more or less do. That, that they do. They are able to sort of deal with the fact that Kevin De Bruyne is wide open because he's far enough away from the goal that he's not an imminent threat. And they move over into the right positions that when he does play that ball in for Raheem Sterling, it's really routine. And it should have just been knocked clear by David Luiz. Uh, like, that would have been the easiest way. He also could have probably just brought it down and passed it right back out, and they would have been fine that way. So I think this is probably another reason where Mikel Arteta is not happy at the end of the game. It's why he's yeah. not giving happy press conferences because individual mistakes can bite you one thing i disagree with you on is almost any other player receiving the ball in that position it's not really a threat but kevin de bruyne has got that david beckham ball about him that's true where if he's got time to you know to do what he wants 
even with narrow angles and weird angles, he can bend a ball in a way that goes around the back of the defense and then and then somehow manages to like <laughs> somehow manages to go vertical and then horizontal because mm-hmm. he puts that much bend on it. This was I mean cuz we've seen him do it many many times before, right? And it's a very it's a terrifying and magnificent and impressive thing. But this wasn't even one of his better ones, right? Because no. this did eventually bend into the path of David Luiz, who should have been able to cut it out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he does a mistake that when I used to coach 10 and 11-year-olds, I would talk to them afterwards and say, like, you know better than that. We've talked about this. Like, what? Calm, like keep your keep your composure and you know get your body behind the ball. It's a thing I learned, I think, in T-ball when I was a little kid. <laughs> it has stuck with me for the rest of my life, but it is what you're supposed to do. If you're going to settle the ball, you don't want to be sticking out a leg one way or the other. You don't want to run the risk of it going over the foot or bouncing underneath. You get your body behind it at the very least your body's going to block that ball but if you're sort of awkwardly sticking out a leg and it's very wet and maybe you're getting a light shout we can't quite tell because we did not record the game without the fake crowd noise but there's a chance that with Raheem Sterling making the run he makes David Luiz might not be aware and maybe he just gets a last second like oh man on and he combined with not being in the best position combined combined with the wet field is maybe why he makes the mistake he makes yeah I was trying to think of excuses for Luiz and wet field is maybe one of them except you know everybody has to play in those conditions Mm -hmm. right the whip on kevin de bruyne's cross is maybe one of them but you know you're a you're a brazilian central defender right you should you should be able to deal with um even the most the most whipped in of crosses you should know to get your body behind the ball and in the end i just can't come up with a decent excuse for david luiz except that he just it took him by surprise and then he just did the best he could I think it's maybe just being a little bit too relaxed, thinking, oh, I've got this, no problem. And so maybe you take your your focus off. But it's also why you're right that Kevin De Bruyne has that Beckham ability and it does make him dangerous from sort of any position. But I was like, what I want to stress is that it wasn't as though Kevin De Bruyne has got the ball in a really dangerous position and everyone's scrambling and David Luiz is trying to do two things at once. Yeah, yeah. It sort of was like everybody sort of calmly slides over. So even there, it's not as though he was in some state of disarray or distress. He just makes a very bad play on the ball, makes no play on the ball to some extent. And if anything, makes it even worse because then it almost slows it up so Raheem Sterling can then run through and volley at home as opposed to it just going out of bounds for a goal kick or at worst a corner. Yeah, because if, if it had gone as Kevin De Bruyne intended, then it's still a really difficult chance, right? Raheem Sterling yeah. has to meet it at the exact right moment mm-hmm. and he's kind of has to, he has to hit it like on the bounce at pace yeah and you're right David Luiz takes the pace off of it and makes it basically drop in front of Raheem Sterling who's mm-hmm. made a really nice run right from the left wing he's gone I want to say behind is he behind Mustafi he runs or in front of Mustafi yeah it's be yeah it's behind Mustafi right and in yeah. front of Bellerin and then mm-hmm. beyond Mustafi and in behind uh David Luiz yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. then it just lands right in front of him but then it's a really nice like smash finish past past Erleno mm-hmm. and I it did feel for a moment like maybe just the, the universe and the world wanted Raheem Sterling uh, to score this goal because yeah. he had uh, he had a very good chance that he chips over the bar because Leno has really good positioning. He has another uh, really great chance before that that Leno saves. I thought another positive for Arsenal fans would be the performance of Bern Leno, who I thought really kept them in this game. It could have been 2-0 or 3-0 by the time yeah. that that goal does eventually go in. So credit to him for the work he does here. But I guess maybe it was just meant to be that Raheem Sterling does get to score. Maybe David Luiz just wanted him to get one. <laughs> For the record, Arlo White pronounces it Leno. Okay, that's yeah. fine. And I don't think he uh, he did Conan O'Brien out of the Tonight Show. See, that's the thing. I'd rather go with that <laughs> over uh, Jay. So yeah, we'll go with Leno from now on. Fine. <laughs>
<laughs> um, do you want to talk about the second goal? I mean, it's just a whirlwind 25 minutes for David Luiz, isn't it? <laughs> is, that, is that the total time he has? Uh, yes, I think so. He comes out of the 24th, gets the red card on the 49th. Oh, so, dear, yeah. oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Mm-hmm. So here's what happens. Yeah. Uh, the quick quick version. Um, Adesan, Man City keeper, hits a great big diagonal out to the right wing. Kyle Walker on the touchline beats Kieran Tierney in the air, heads it down into the path of Riyad Mahrez. Riyad Mahrez bursts past David Luiz. David Luiz first tries to like put the arm across him to slow him down, realises he's not getting away with that, then essentially puts the hand on the shoulder and pulls him back. That's why it's a red card, right? That's why it's yeah. a penalty and a red card for denial of goalscoring opportunity because he wasn't attempting to play the ball. He really was just pulling Riyad Mahrez back. And speaking of Arlo White, credit to Arlo White for noting that yeah. In real time, most announcers don't have that firm of a grip on the rule book <laughs> to be able to get that across and understand it quickly. Yeah, because I mean, usually we'd get like, what? Like a red card? I th- like, I thought we had no more of that. Like, it should just be a yellow yeah. card. And you'd get that whole debate that eventually gets resolved later on. Yeah. So, yes, credit to him. But also, the way you just described that, Daryl, I really would wonder. I mean, obviously, there's going to be depth issues and squad issues. There's a chance we don't see David Luiz again for a while for Arsenal. Because <laughs> thinking about this again... Like, the mistake for the first goal is him just being very casual and thinking he's got it under control and not maybe being as alert as he needs to be. That's the case here, as you said. Is I think he just thinks, I'll put the arm across, he's not going to get around me. And then when suddenly it is more of a fight, I think he's not ready for it and has to make those desperate like that desperate play. But he does the same thing against Brentford where he's a little bit too casual. That's three times that he's well, been too casual in his approach. I actually, I slightly disagree with you. And I left out the analysis of exactly what happened with your Admaris because I think that's the most interesting part he was alert to the danger mm-hmm. he ju- and he tries to step when Kyle Walker wins the header he tries to step does David Luiz and tries to beat Riyad Mahrez to the ball but I think halfway through realizes that oh no Riyad Mahrez is just much much quicker than I mm-hmm. am I'm not getting there and then he's caught a little flat-footed right as Mahrez takes that touch on his chest and bursts beyond him and I think we might just be seeing the the sort of fading of the light of uh, of David Luiz's sort of defensive speed. You know what I mean? Like it might That's be a thing he got away with yeah. eight years ago, but there's just no way he gets there first um, in this day and age against a player like Riyad Mahrez. Yeah, that's probably fair. And then so then to bridge those, then at the very least, that is a player not adapting. That's a player yes. not being a- aware of. Like, if you have to be told by your manager, hey, Riyad Mahrez is fast and maybe faster than you, so don't try to beat him in a foot race. Like, that's a thing that maybe you should be able to figure out on your own. Yeah. But I'm also going to assume that there was probably a dossier prepared on relative speeds and David Luiz was probably told, you're not going to beat him, so don't get into a foot race. What's really interesting is after the game, Mikel says it doesn't change my opinion of David. And may- yeah, which is he's not a starter. <laughs> yeah, well, but maybe his opinion all along is like the man can't defend, but I quite like yeah. the way he brings the ball out of the back. <laughs> yeah, yes. I just I love the idea of it doesn't change my opinion of a man who I did not start and only had to play out of desperation. <laughs> <laughs> like that's 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 a terrific line from Mikel Arteta. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of subtext in there, right? I hope so. No, I think he was trying to be supportive because I'm sure this is a low point um, for David Luiz. And like you said, his contract's Mm. running out, right? So he's going to have a suspension. We We don't know if we'll be seeing him again. My guess is we do, but not against Brighton. Uh, yes. which is Arsenal's <laughs> next game um, on Saturday. Um, do you want to talk about the third goal scored by Phil Foden? I can't say that I can offer any analysis of it because this is like, what, 90-something plus minute when we're down to 10 versus 10. 
I love the idea of it being an assist, quote unquote, for Sergio Aguero, who who was really trying to get a goal in this game. He doesn't start. <laughs> he comes in. He had some maybe ill-advised shots, especially when they're trying to kill the game off. But in this one, he shoots it. It's saved. And then Phil Foden is there for the rebound. So if you had Raheem Sterling, Kevin De Bruyne, and Phil Foden as your three goal scorers, well done to you. I did <laughs> not. Uh, but I did think this game was going to be closer. And I saw a lot of... Arsenal supporters on Twitter, and then even some of my Arsenal friends who I was like tweet, uh, texting back and forth with, there was that there was that air of like, all right, like I'm, I know they're not going to win, but I'm going to let myself believe a little bit. And there's no little belief. Like if you believe, you believe. And I think I feel for Arsenal fans because I have to believe there was maybe like, oh, okay, Arteta's in there, and we've got some time to figure stuff out. Like this could be a good game for us. And then you see that lineup, and maybe some alarms start getting raised, and then it fin- finishes three nil. And I feel I feel sorry for Arsenal fans, but there I think is- they. Can, they can feel heartened by the fact that, you know, they've got some squad in there, some talent in there, and Mikel Arteta seems like he has got a vision for how he wants this team to go. He definitely has a vision for how he wants to play, and I think mm-hmm. there is an element of bad luck of those two injuries in the first 20-something minutes, yeah. right? To lose one of your centre-backs and one of your... So first, first you're one of your midfielders, Shaka, who's become a key midfielder under Arteta um, mm. and a leader on the field, and then to lose one of your centre-backs, uh, what, 20 minutes later burn two of your subs have to like re re uh, reorganize i mean i know the shape doesn't change but it's not the personnel you sent out with the plan right i mm. think there is a, a, a element of bad luck to that and then the david Luiz red card early in the second half kind of just finishes the whole thing right yeah so the way i'm looking at this for arsenal is provided that that Mesut ozil thing isn't a massive massive drama and a massive rift between arteta and ozil there is a chance that they just bounce back next week against brighton it's just the, the fact that Ozil wasn't on the bench yeah. just has me really worried that there's more to this than we know about. Yes. I mean, yeah, I think that that's a fair place to be, and we'll see how it develops for Arsenal. I did have two more things I wanted to say about Man City before yes. we call it a day. Uh, yeah, um, I want to talk Man City. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, the, the, the first one would be we should mention Eric Garcia. Uh, yes. He has the, the massive collision with Adairson. I watched this one many more times than I wanted to because the thing that I was initially confused by is I absolutely thought Adairson punches this ball away and then makes contact with Garcia – but he would have been outside the box. It is not. He wins it with his head. So if you see the reporting that he then punches Garcia on the way through, it's not that, but that almost would have been better because what it actually is, is Garcia, I think, has his head turned and is tracking the ball over the top. So he does not see Adarison coming at all. And it really is the equivalent of running into a wall if that wall were actually advancing at you. So I was very, very nervous for how this was going to go. Garcia gets carted off. But from what I have seen from the Man City uh, uh, Twitter account and then some reporting afterwards, it sounds like he is recovering very well, has been taken to the hospital to do some tests, but it doesn't seem to be anything uh, too severe. So that's very good for a 19-year-old making, I think, only his fourth appearance and looking very solid for Man City. I actually think Garcia starting alongside Laporte might be the um, the thing Guardiola is trying out, right? It's really yeah. notable that Garcia started ahead of Fernandinho at centre-back, and you now have two guys who are pretty quick playing centre-back. And I thought, I thought Garcia was pretty good. I don't remember any specific moments for him. I think Laporte was excellent. Yeah. I saw a lot of... Um, there were a couple of uh, chances. I think it was the Sterling chance in the 33rd minute. Essentially starts because Laporte breaks up an Arsenal counter-attack and starts a Man City counter-attack. Mm-hmm. And he just he looked in control the entire time. And I think I really understand why Guardiola likes him so much now. So we may be looking at Man City's uh, centre-back pairing for the rest of the season, maybe. Because uh, John Stones sort of was doing a mess at Ozil in that John Stones was not even on the, uh, not even on the Man City bench today. 
He was not. Uh, some other people who did not start in this game would be Rodri Fernandinho, Leroy Sana, Bernardo Silva, and Sergio Aguero. The only reason why I mentioned all those names is because I think Pep Guardiola like turned the knife a little bit or added a little bit of salt into that wound from Mikel Arteta because after the game he was asked about why some of those people weren't involved and he straight up said we had one eye on the next match which is not a thing you ever hear a manager say. They will never say yeah we were looking past this opponent to the next game. So Pep Guardiola saying that I'm going to assume that's like a tongue-in-cheek sort of trying to be like playfully antagonistic because otherwise I can't imagine him saying that in a normal setting. I mean, yeah, I wondered if Ilkay Gundogan had now like entered the entered the conversation to mm-hmm. be Manchester City's pivot midfielder. Like maybe maybe it's not Rodri anymore, and maybe Fernandinho's day is almost past, and it maybe Gundogan was getting his shot at being the guy. Oh, but it could be that yeah, they're just resting resting Rodri for later on. I mean, they've got the depth. I mean, just either way, like if they're not, and this was their strongest eleven now, it still is sort of him him like trolling Mikel Arteta a bit. Oh, this was a bad first game back for Arsenal, right? Especially with really the Arteta-Man City um, psychological thing, because he would have been thinking about trying to trying to, yeah. trying to show like <laughs> he's no longer the apprentice. He's definitely still the apprentice, right? You can keep mm. your Padawan yes. ponytail. Yes. To the extent that I, I think I, I joked to you that like I, I sort of expected him to do the Homer Simpson fading into the bushes and then just emerging on the Man City bench. Like, no, I never left. I've been here the whole time. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, anything else to add um, on this game? On both games, actually. We haven't yet touched upon it, but I thought it was incredibly cool. Uh, I knew they were going to be doing it, and yet to see every single player having Black Lives Matter on the back of their jerseys yeah. uh, was was an amazing moment. And then the kneeling, the it's a, it's a commentary on the Times. I shouldn't laugh, but that we have the moment of silence for corona, coronavirus, and then we have the kneeling for Black Lives Matter. Yeah. It's a... It's a Difficult time, but I thought that was very cool and definitely not something that I would have expected to see when this game was originally scheduled, for sure. I liked where they chose to take the knee. Um, Because obviously we don't play the national anthem before games uh, in the UK, Mm -hmm. um, unless it's a a national team game. Um, So the fact that they chose it after the kickoff whistle, basically, right? Everyone Mm -hmm. just like took a knee for what felt like, I want to say, 10 seconds um, and then back up. That feels like the right thing to do because then everybody who wants to do it can do it. And it's really notable, I think, that every single player uh, did it. And uh, again, I think I mentioned this to you briefly when we did the preview. Just think of how far that sort Mm -hmm. of Colin Kaepernick protest has come. That now yeah. every single player in this massive league across the Atlantic um, is is in on it as well. Yeah, I mean, and and if you are a person who objects to that movement, I think maybe it makes you look at it again and think like, okay, yeah. like th- th- there's no way it's this like violent insurgency if the entire Premier League is taking part in it. Otherwise, they're I guess collaborators, and then maybe it's a larger conspiracy than you might have expected. Then you've got even more to worry about. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, I did enjoy that. And then I will add from a – like it, it made me emotional to see that because of where we are now. Like that that yeah. made me very happy. But then I did also appreciate it from a practical standpoint of when they did take the knee, as you said, it was after the whistle. So they were all more or less in their positions. So then you had a moment to see, okay, that's the shape they're going for and that's where he's <laughs> going to be. Got it. I'm glad the Back Lives Matter movement <laughs> is helpful for your tactical notes, Taylor. <laughs> Everyone's, I mean, it's, a, it's like 1%. It's 1% and then 99% <laughs> the other way. <laughs> All right. So uh, we will be doing more Premier League review on mm-hmm. Friday, right? What are the games on Friday, Taylor? I know that it's Spurs Man United. There's no other game. That's There's it. no other game. I believe it's I mean, Norwich. there probably is another game, but that's, that's, yeah, that's the only one I will be worrying about. I will be as worried about that game as Arsenal fans were about this game. 
Uh, so Friday, it's Norwich v Southampton at 1pm and Spurs versus Manchester United at 3.15. There are no Premier League games on Thursday, but that might be the last day for a while that we can say that. Daryl, we, we had a rule. It's, it's Norwich v who? Southampton. RB Southampton, I believe, is what we've decided is going to be the case. No, Monster <laughs> Southampton, you. I believe. We're Monster Southampton, excuse me. And if you have no idea what we're talking about, listen to yesterday's show. Because <laughs> otherwise, you're probably very confused. Anything else to add, Taylor? Anything you've been watching that you want to tell us about? Uh, mostly just soccer lately. Mostly just soccer lately. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I saw uh, Defive Bloods, the new Spike Lee film. You know, I'm a big uh, Spike that? Lee fan. It's, like, it's good, but... Like many Spike Lee things, it's like a, a mashup of a lot of different genres. So I can't say that it's for everybody, but I would definitely recommend giving it a go. How about that? Do you have Do you have a favorite Spike Lee movie? Uh, probably Do the Right Thing. Okay, which is very timely. Like it's st- yes. still relevant thirty one years later. Do the Right Thing. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it um, is. Yeah. Um, on that note, uh, Do the Right Thing isn't on like a streaming service. I think you'd have to pay to rent it right now. We also watched uh, The Inside Man, which we're on a bit of a Spike Lee, mm-hmm. um, a Spike Lee uh, sort of a, let, let's yep. watch what we can. I forgot how good The Inside Man is. It's also uh, very coronavirus um, germane because Colin, <laughs> I forgot his name, Clive Owen is yelling at everybody mm-hmm. for the whole movie to wear masks. He is indeed. Also, <laughs> first of all, Mark Zuckerberg, drop that the, because it's Inside Man. Uh, but do not Excuse watch me. Inside Man 2, uh, because that is, I think, also available on Netflix oh, and is Taylor. definitely not related to the you other one. You always fall for it. You always fall for it. Oh, it must <laughs> oh, be I just as good. Oh, no. I knew that. Oh, I didn't watch it. I, I knew I knew well enough with that one, because it had the vibe of, like, uh, transmorphers when they do that sort of thing, where they <laughs> deliberately try to trick you, including there is one that is definitely trying to trick you if you're looking for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because it's like Once Upon a Time, and they will will sort of direct you to that one if you're going through Amazon, I believe it was. Which there is, we go. Yeah, another reason not to go through Amazon. Always be aware. Always yeah. be aware. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll close by saying, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we'll be back again very soon with more Total Soccer Show. Total Soccer Show.